When is the last time that you had to do something very brave? Bravery is another way of saying courage. Maybe you showed courage when visiting the dentist or facing your fear of the dark or standing up to a bully or telling the truth. I wonder if you can guess where the word courage comes from. Is it A, cougars, B, eating spicy curry, or C, core, the Latin word which means heart? Hi, I'm your host Heidi Alien, and this is Brilliant Mornings. Join us as we ignite a passion for history and learn from the great minds of the past. This season, we explore holidays in the United States, uncovering the lesser-known stories of the people behind them. We focus on the poetry and narratives, written or oral, behind the great men and women of the past and use their linguistic art to fuel our own writing. Today, join a special group of children for a scavenger hunt in Washington, D.C. We hope that this story is a springboard for good conversations with your family. Ethan slammed on his bicycle brakes and peered into a nearby cluster of trees hidden in the shadows of the evening sunset. Those voices sound familiar, he thought to himself. Let me go, shouted a high-pitched, rather muffled voice. Deciding to investigate, Ethan leaned his bike against a tree near the beautiful reflecting pool on the National Mall of Washington, D.C. He carefully stayed behind tree trunks, darting from one to another, until he caught a glimpse of a circle of middle schoolers surrounding a younger boy. Yep, those are the rude kids from camp, he confirmed. Ethan had come to the United States capital city to attend a courageous kids camp. By investigating brave men, women, and children from history, the campers learned ways that they themselves could use courage in their own lives. The morning had been full of stories of fearless leaders who did what their consciences told them was right, even when it put them in danger. Now, Ethan and his team were participating in a scavenger hunt across Washington, D.C. with several new friends named Peyton, Teo, Jonathan, Jack, Grace, and Micah. Ethan raced to each of the monuments in the city. At each one, a package awaited the first three teams to find them. Each package held clues to direct the team to the next location. One team, however, seemed to always arrive at the monuments first, steal all the clues, and plant traps for the other teams. This group of older boys rudely laughed at the others, and one of them, a skinny boy with a sharp nose and shaggy hair, had even crashed into Ethan's bike, chipping one of the pedals. Ethan and his team had just ridden bikes along the 2,028-foot-long reflecting pool spread before the Lincoln Memorial and they knew their next clue awaited them by Lincoln's statue. The rest of the team pedaled toward the memorial, but Ethan lingered near the group of bullies he had tried all day to avoid. Who cried for help, he wondered. In a moment, Ethan caught a glimpse of Johan, a quiet boy from South America who was just learning English. He looked terrified as he clung to his clues that the sharp-nosed boy tried to tear from his hands. Johan also held a white paper bag with the words Capital Candy on the outside. Ethan's heart pounded. He knew he should jump into the group to defend Johan, but his body stood still as a statue. He watched as the bullies swiped the bag of candy and the clues from Johan. Whooping and hollering, the candy thieves jogged away, but their escape route led them right past Ethan. He attempted to disappear behind a tree, but the boys had already seen him. Hey, it's Big E, said the ringleader. 
He reached into the bag of stolen candy and handed Ethan a huge jawbreaker. Here, a little gift for you. Just don't say anything about what you saw, he warned and scampered away. Ethan slunk down low against the tree, afraid to move. His mouth watered as he glanced down at the huge, fiery red ball of candy in his palm. Involuntarily, he tried to lick it, but instantly felt sick inside his stomach. He remembered that feeling from when he'd told a little white lie to his mother weeks ago. She'd explained that feeling to be his conscience, a place in the brain that helps us know right from wrong. Right now, he could feel that his conscience was telling him it would be wrong to eat that candy since it was stolen. He pulled it away from his mouth but held on to it. Ethan could also feel his conscience telling him he should have helped Johan. Ethan, come on, Peyton yelled from the Lincoln Memorial steps. Help us get the clues. Coming, he shouted. When he turned back around, he noticed Johan limping in the direction of their hotel. Without his clues, Johan could not win the scavenger hunt. Was he giving up on the game? Was he giving up on his team? Ethan, yelled Jonathan. The team needs to work together. Ethan quickly made his way back to his bicycle and hopped on, feeling rather sick in his stomach. He pedaled to the Lincoln Memorial, which now was covered in the pinks and reds of a breathtaking sunset. On the grand stairs to the chair where Lincoln sat, Ethan's teammates held a long scroll. Who gave this speech at the Lincoln Memorial? Grace read a scavenger hunt question. I'll read the speech on the scroll, volunteered Teo. Let's see, five scores and some years ago, a great American, we stand in his shadow, he signed in the Emancipation Proclamation. Wasn't this President Lincoln's speech? Asked Ethan. Jack shook his head. No, President Lincoln started his famous Gettysburg speech by saying four score and seven years ago. Who's keeping score, laughed Grace. Why are they even talking about scores? Do you know how many years a score is? Asked a friendly-looking woman dressed in a suit who stood near Lincoln. Ethan recognized her as one of the teachers from their morning session. Her name tag read Professor Vera. I think I remember that a score is 20 years, answered Teo. That's right, the professor answered. So how many years would five score be? The children tried counting by 20s. That's five groups of 20. So if I count in 20s, that would be 20, 40, 60, 80, 100. That's 100 years, Grace exclaimed. This means the speech was written 100 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, the order that President Lincoln gave to free slaves in America. That's right. Professor Vera said in a serious tone, 100 years after Abraham Lincoln had freed the slaves, the southern states still held on to laws and patterns which prevented black Americans from having the same rights and privileges as white Americans. What kind of qualities? asked Grace. No, no, I said inequalities, restated Professor Vera. When two things or two people are equal, it means they have the same value. But inequality means they do not have the same value. I was a five-year-old girl in winter of 1955 when inequality first introduced itself to me in a very real way. 
Early one morning, my mother placed coins into a bus driver's hand at the front of a long public bus, as she did every morning. Then she led me around to the back of the bus so that we could enter through a door at the rear. We found our seats in the back. I watched several chattering ladies into the front of the bus, choosing seats close to the driver. Their skin was the color of cream and mine the color of the coffee in my mother's thermos. I did not see other women drinking coffee, but my mother explained they hadn't caught up to this stylish new trend. And besides, it magically gave her energy to make it through the day after spending most of the night mending clothes to make extra money. She sat perfectly tall and straight, looking pretty in her long, pale blue coat, small hat, and wool skirt, sipping her coffee. I wished she did not have to spend the night sewing for other people, and I wished she did not have to be tired every morning. Maybe Papa would find a better paying job in the new year so Mother could sleep more. After ten minutes, the bus squeaked to a halt and a large group of passengers filed in. I feared we would have to give up our seats like we did last week when the bus was full and the driver asked us to stand. But just as the driver began to say something in our direction, Mother announced, We were just leaving anyway. Indeed, this was our stop. I heard my mother sigh, and I felt her strong hand clasp mine as we exited the bus. We walked until we reached the familiar large brick home with stately white front porch pillars. The two of us turned down the driveway and followed it to the door by the kitchen. As soon as we entered the cozy warmth, my mother exchanged her coat for an apron, and within minutes was mixing dough for biscuits. I had already run up the lavish stairway and into the first bedroom calling, Morning, Susie Woozy! My best friend toppled out of her plush bed, which was entirely too large for one little girl, and we commenced our play in the safe and happy world of make-believe. Today, she let me wear her blue silk dress with the lace collar for our tea party, and shocked me by saying, I'm done with that one, B. You can have it. I gasped. I longed to wear that dress. I'd longed to wear it since the day it was made for Susie, and to think it would be mine. I'm so glad to have you to give all my old dresses to, she giggled. And I giggled back, but something inside my stomach twisted. One day, I wish I could be the one choosing the fabric for a new dress, I thought. My mother worked all day washing laundry for Susie's family and preparing their meals. I helped Susie dress and played with her when I wasn't helping mother. That afternoon, Susie bounded into the kitchen where mother and I washed dishes. Oh, Bee, come help me put on my new dress. Miss Parks just finished sewing it for me. Her eyes sparkled excitedly. It's time for a real tea party. Mother is taking my friends and me to a real tea house downtown. A real tea party? I squealed with delight. I pictured the fine china cups and saucers in a real restaurant. The clean pressed tablecloth, the spoons made of real silver. I could wear your blue dress, Susie, I exclaimed, picturing how beautiful we would all look sipping our tea and eating cookies. 
When Susie realized I thought I was invited, her plump five-year-old cheeks turned a deep scarlet and her mouth hung open. Mother spun around, shaking her head with wide eyes. No, no, Bee, she whispered. Bee, you can't come, Susie quietly and thoughtfully explained. I'm going with my friends. With these painful words, my sheltered, happy world crashed down around me. Why could I be friends with Susie inside her house, but not outside? Didn't she like me as much as she liked the other girls? Maybe because my clothes were old, or I never had any toys to share with her. After Susie left the room, Mother explained, This is one of the unfair laws in the southern states that stop all people from being treated equally. Here in Georgia, you cannot go to that tea house with Susie. It's the same reason we cannot go to swim with her at the YMCA and the reason we have to sit in the back of the bus. Those with dark and light skin have to stay separate. But my love, Mama beamed, looking at my shrinking frame, and with pride she said, Don't you ever feel that you are less than anyone. Every human is precious and valuable, made that way by the great creator. Don't ever forget who you are. One week later, Mother woke me up when it was still dark. We're leaving early, she whispered. We have to walk. Shivering and confused, I trudged down the sidewalk, nibbling an apple as the sun rose on the city of Montgomery. The morning light brought a shocking sight. Crowds of people walking to work filled the sidewalks. Mother's face glowed. We did it, she exclaimed, marveling at the sight. What did we do, Mother? I questioned, my feet beginning to ache. You and I and all of these people are going to put an end to the unfair rules in our city. Remember Miss Parks, the seamstress? She did something very brave. She refused to get up for a white man on a bus. Mother paused as if deciding whether to tell me the rest, then continued. She was arrested. My heart sank within me. Miss Parks! The kind woman who made Susie's dresses is going to jail. But Mother continued, It's going to be okay. We're fighting for her. We are part of a great boycott organized by Reverend King. Reverend King thought of this? I scowled. I'd seen him preach in church many times. What an awful idea. I'm tired. Hush, child. It's only for one day. It's a small sacrifice. Things are looking brighter. To me, nothing looked brighter. The boycott continued day after day. We left early and walked to Mother's job, and each day I felt more uncomfortable at Susie's house. She seemed preoccupied these days and disinterested in me. I listened to her laughing in the parlor with her mother and their friends who came a-calling. One day I overheard them say that the boycott ruined the city and we should all be punished. From that day on, I was not invited into her room for playdates. The month-long boycott dragged out into two, then three. Before I knew it, I was starting school, and eight long months of refusing bus rides had passed. 
I welcomed school, since this meant I would not have to endure Susie's house. One particularly frigid day that next December, I arrived home from school with frozen fingers and in a deplorable mood. Dr. King has no idea what he's doing to make us continue with this. He doesn't have to walk to school every day. He doesn't even know what it feels like to lose friends who think you're a criminal. Mother looked at me long and hard. B, you know Dr. King lost a friend when he was just your age because of racism. Because of the color of his skin, his best friend's parents put an end to their friendship. The experience hurt him terribly. And it is because of this pain that Dr. King marches with us. It's because of this pain that he and his wife gave up their freedoms in the North, where there are no segregation laws, to come back to the South and help us. It's because of this pain that his family faces danger every single day. It's because of this pain that he fights for white and black children to come together as friends. Because of his pain, he has sacrificed everything, B, and he will continue to. I felt terrible to have cast my anger on Dr. King and stood there, sopping wet, tears running down my cheeks. At that moment, Papa burst through the front door. It's over, he laughed. We did it. Tomorrow in Montgomery, Alabama, we can sit wherever we want on the buses. The boycott is over. Miss Vera gazed into the sunset as she reminisced, the children around her hanging on to her next words. She continued, Without the courage of Reverend King, our preacher, we never could have united. Do you know that the word courage comes from the Latin word cor, which means heart? Courage meant bravery to speak your heart. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. learned from the great world leaders of the past that it is through the heart that we fight evil. He looked to Jesus, who turned the other cheek and sacrificed his own life for those he loved. He was especially inspired by Mahatma Gandhi, the man who helped to free the nation of India by using resistance in love and not violence. Dr. King stood right here on the Lincoln Memorial, shouting that he had a dream. He was always brave enough to speak his heart, and ultimately, he gave up his life fighting for what he knew was right. Ethan looked down and released the candy he'd held in his fist. It slowly rolled down the 58 steps to the plaza below them with a plunk each time it hit the next stair. Jack, Peyton, Micah, and Grace stared at the Lincoln Memorial as they pictured Dr. King shouting from the platform, fighting for the rights of boys and girls like themselves. Suddenly, Teo yelled, Oh, I know what the next clue leads to. The Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial, right here in the National Mall. The team jumped up to continue the scavenger hunt, but Ethan sat silently, his eyes filled with tears. He had attended this camp to learn about being courageous, and yet when he had had a chance to defend someone's suffering, he had given in to fear. Professor Vera and everyone else, hold on a minute. A little while ago, there was a boy whose clues were stolen, and he was hurt. I wanted to win the scavenger hunt so bad that I ignored my conscience and didn't defend him. I think it would honor Dr. King much more if we go and find Johan and help him out. 
The rest of the team quickly nodded in agreement. True courage takes sacrifice, said Grace. You're right. Winning this game doesn't even matter if we don't win in doing what's right. Professor Vera now had tears in her eyes. If only Dr. King were here to see you today, she said. He'd be proud of your choice. Today starts a collection of American holidays which honor world changers who listened to their consciences, acted in courage, and gave the ultimate sacrifice of their own lives. On our Brilliant Mornings Instagram, we are honored to feature the work of an amazingly talented artist, Jesse Wright, who creatively captures the spirit of today's hero. As you appreciate his drawing and learn from his skills, I hope that you can pick up some tips to strengthen your own drawing skills and spend time creating today. Check our podcast notes for educational resources available to you. You'll definitely want to use our picture search if you haven't already when you listen to the podcast. Have a great day and remember, be loving, strong, and courageous. This podcast is produced by Heidi Illion with intro and outro music by Matt Gregor.